Episode 13 of ICO 41, weekly in-depth analysis of initial coin offerings. Episode 13 of ICO 41. My name is Owen Scott, and I'm your podcast host. This podcast focuses deeply on a single ICO each week and presumes some knowledge of the basics of blockchain technology. What's a little different about this podcast is that we read the white papers, we investigate the background of the team, and if we can, we spend some time with the team in question, and then we report to you in detail. As always, this podcast is not intended as investment advice, nor as information to lead to any particular action whatsoever. Our aim is to inform and not to suggest. Now, for this week's episode, I'll be continuing the conversation about proof-of-stake masternodes as a potential form of investment, and as well as the fact that certain elements of cryptocurrency, particularly this proof-of-stake and these proof-of-stake coins that we're seeing might just as well be viewed as a sort of series of grand economic experiments. And it's not like these economic experiments are being conducted in a laboratory, like most scientists might conduct experiments, but actually they're being conducted in the real world with the investments of tens of thousands of people who are actually experiencing quite an interesting and wide range of results. All I can say is that if I were a university economics or maybe a psychology professor with an interest in the mass psychology of investing in markets, I think I would instruct my grad student researchers to spend a few months on the Discord channels of any number of these proof-of-stake coins that are being released these days. And this week's coin is particularly fascinating in this regard, since this roller coaster ride of this story continues to this very moment. Now, before we dive into this project, I want to talk just for a few minutes about masternodes and the so-called staking of coins using a masternode. For the last couple of years, there's been this entire class of coins that have come into existence And very often, they're slightly modified versions of each other. They all have one thing in common. They incentivize the participants to hold, or otherwise lock away, the coin. And the incentive usually comes in the form of a healthy percentage that is delivered in a similar way that your bank adds interest to your savings account. And actually, let's just take a moment to step back into the sort of good old days, and ask that simple question, why do banks even do that? I'm going to keep it really, really simple, even though it's probably a little bit more complicated, but they incentivize you to keep your money in their bank by adding a percentage of your stake, as it were, as a reward to keep your money in their bank. And then they, of course, would loan your money to other people at a higher rate or nowadays they would invest it in any scheme that they could come up with, and hopefully they would make more money than they pay you to keep it there. Now, 
if the price of money goes up, that is, if the interest rate rises, banks need to pay you more incentive to keep your money in their bank to make it less attractive for you to move it out. So the interest rate is raised. Now, if you've been paying attention to the interest rates for the last few years or even decades, you might conclude based on this that money isn't very expensive right now. And you'd be right about that. And this whole concept of interest rates and money supply in our entire economy is a heck of a lot more complicated than that simplification. And because we literally live and die by concepts such as interest rates and money supply, because of the importance of that, you don't see the Federal Reserve, which of course is the American authority that governs our money supply, you don't see them performing drastic measures unless they're called for through some major emergency like an economic crisis or, or a full-out depression. But the issuers of cryptocurrency are perfectly free to experiment. For instance, they can create a currency and they can set whatever interest rate they like. They can also create any kind of rules that they want to in terms of the supply of that currency, the governance of that security. This is precisely what they do. And in fact, what makes this week's cryptocurrency token so interesting, which, by the way, is... B3 Coin. Now, the first thing I should mention about this coin is that the team that developed it is reportedly the same team that brought us two other very successful projects. One is named Bitcore, and the other is named BitSend. Now, if you had invested in Bitcore when it was first released, you would have seen a return of about a thousand percent of your investment in pretty much a few months. If you'd done the same with BitSend, you would have realized a return of about 9,000% in about six months. So these were quite successful projects in their own right, and they continue to be successful projects. This time around, though, the developers had a completely new and some might even say outrageous idea. Using this concept of proof of stake and also the concept of a master node in a sort of unique way, which we'll get into later, this coin advertised a rate of 27% per day. Now, why do you suppose they came up with that figure, 27%? Well, it's because 27% a day is about 10,000% per year. And so really, they wanted this to be the first proof-of-stake coin to offer a 10,000% annual return. Now, given this fundamental concept, you might be able to see what I mean when I say this is a little bit like the experiment of a completely insane economics professor. And actually, as a follow-up, I would very much like to dial up an economics professor somewhere and tell them the story, ask them what they think. So with any luck, we'll have a very interesting follow-up episode about this. But let's talk about 
what this means, what this B3 coin means and how it actually works. Well, the idea is that you would purchase the coins. And this was back in probably July, August. And the coins were available only on a few exchanges. And then you'd lock them into a wallet. You would stake them for a period of time. If you remember last week, we, we talked about that there was a specific time period and a specific schedule posted with specific percentages based on the time of your stake. This one's a little bit different though. In this case, the developers set up a schedule that were based on the number of blocks in the chain at any given time. So for the first 10,000 blocks of the chain, the annual rate, the entire year's rate was 8%. And then from 10 to 25,000 blocks, it more or less doubled. And then it doubled twice again between 30,000 and 50,000. And then it soared to a thousand percent. But then for this 20,000 block period between 60,000 blocks and 80,000 blocks of the chain, it provides 10,000% interest. And because as of the time of this podcast, the block is not yet at actually 80,000, it's still providing 10,000% interest. Although, I should point out that this seems to be set to last for just about a week or maybe two more because of several extenuating circumstances. But that 80,000 block is coming pretty soon. What this actually means in terms of the numbers is that let's say you had a thousand of these tokens on day one of this month that fell inside this, this period of outrageous appreciation of your token. The next day, you would have 1,270. And your stake of tokens would then compound every day that month. Now, using this simple compounding daily interest calculator, we would see that we'd have uh, about a million and a half tokens by the end of the month, even if we hadn't added any ourselves from that original 1,000 token investment. So given this schedule, you, you might imagine that this coin began to gain interest when the reward reached 15%, 25%, and then maybe 100%. But as you might imagine, it really started to take off when the reward reached 1,000%. And then when it reached 10,000, it absolutely would have exploded. And of course, you'd be absolutely right. That is precisely what happened. And you can go to CoinMarketCap and you can look at the B3 token and see that history. Now, the reason that it's not completely crazy is that this token traded on an exchange, which would allow you to convert it to Bitcoin. And therefore, it actually had value. That is to say, the token, one token, was worth some percentage of Bitcoin. Now, when this project was paying about an 8% annual rate, the price of a B3 coin was as high as about 80 cents worth of Bitcoin in US dollars. Well, what do you suppose happened to that value during that time of 10,000% interest? Well, of course, it plummeted. 
pretty much like falling off a cliff. And that's because Economics 101 tells us that there's no such thing as a completely free lunch, right? If the supply of the coin increased at a rate of 27% per day, then the price of one of those coins would decrease about as fast, wouldn't you think? Well, not exactly. And that's where this experiment, if you will, gets pretty interesting. What I think these developers were engaged in is sort of a high-wire act with respect to what they were trying to accomplish. Their sort of master plan, I think their method to their madness, if you will, was to raise the interest rate so high that it would be a no-brainer for lots of people to get involved. And then, uh, under a certain schedule, which they had posted, they would back out those really, really high rates, and people would be left with enough tokens to create master nodes. And then, of course, those master nodes would burn the tokens, as we'll see. And the idea is that it would return the price to hopefully what it was formerly, or at least close. And in addition to that, it wasn't just the price. It was also the notion and concept that there could be lots and lots of master nodes. In a proof-of-stake system, you want as many master nodes running as possible for the strength of the system, for the security of the system, the distribution of wealth, so to speak. Uh, they were after that as well. So the idea was to to uh, create a large, large number of master nodes going out the gate when the master nodes were turned on. But with respect to this so-called high wire act, what that did, of course, as we'll see, is created massive inflation. And then the idea was to, was to switch it up and restore sanity and stability to the currency just in time. And you know, just to take a couple steps back, one of the things that I really recommend to anyone who wants to understand markets and human behavior in real time with real emotion behind it is to open up a futures account and trade the so-called e-mini futures. Now don't fall, no matter what you find out about this, don't fall into the illusion that you're going to become wealthy doing it. Just treat it as an educational investment, if you will. The reason I'm mentioning it is because it's fascinating to see how humans, or maybe it would be more accurate to say how humans programming computers nowadays make a market move. One of the interesting things that you'll discover is there are many types of market participants who have any number of goals and any number of behavioral types. And this also proved to be true for the B3 coin community. And what you had there was a combination of people who participated and, of course, continue to participate as traders in an effort to take short-term profit. And then you have other people who participate for a longer term and for other reasons. Now, it would have been one thing if all the participants in this B3 coin market had participated in the way that the designers of the system had expected, which, of course, was to see the long-term value, stake the coins, and receive the rewards 
but not all of them did. What happened was that a number of participants, probably more than was actually good for the network, began to sell their coins during that time when the rate of return exceeded the price collapse. And as they sold more and more, the price collapsed faster and faster. But as the price collapsed, the 10,000% return continued as it does today. What ultimately happened here was just an inflation, unlike anything that we here in the normal human world could possibly imagine. And then some things happened that just seem to happen all too frequently in the cryptocurrency world, uh, which, you know, it's interesting. It again confirms the notion that no matter how well you program a market, intervention always seems necessary at some point. You've probably heard of the free market theory. Time and time again, it seems to be proven that markets cannot automate themselves perfectly and that some authority is sometimes required especially in a market. Now, there's systems that do their job, but markets are different. Markets contain humans with emotion. And so this project is no exception. In this particular case, it was the danger, essentially, of the value of the token going to absolute zero. Now, to some extent, the programmers had foreseen all of this. It was part of their design in a way. Maybe not as fast as they thought, but they had created a mechanism. In fact, it was in their roadmap by which they could intervene or by which I should say the system would correct itself. Specifically, what I'm talking about is this concept of a fundamental node. Now, this is a type of master node which doesn't really lock away coins. It actually destroys them. You literally would burn 25 million coins for the privilege of receiving a reward, or I should say rewards into the future, for whatever block that was awarded to your fundamental node. Actually, to be more specific, you would share that. You would share 60% of the block reward, and 40% would go to whatever wallet that was able to claim that reward. Now, depending on the number of fundamental nodes, your fundamental node might win a block more than once per day. The more nodes, the less times you would win. The fewer nodes, the more times you would win. But the issue was that there was a plan to turn these master nodes on at block 80,000, and they turned them on earlier. They did that, of course, as an intervention. So there was that. But then there was also some issues with the code that was released. So the main exchange that had most of the volume is an exchange called Cryptotopia. And because of the issues with the new wallet and the new code, Cryptotopia froze all trading for the B3 coin, which remains in effect at the time of this podcast. Now, what that did was that prevented some people who had amassed tens of millions of tokens during that 10,000% reward system, which goes on today, by the way, prevented them 
from being able to create fundamental nodes. A fundamental node costs 25 million tokens. There are some people who have tens or maybe even hundreds of millions of tokens on Cryptotopia, but can't get them off to create a fundamental node. That created the effect of having a relatively few amount of fundamental nodes operating in this 60-40% reward system and being rewarded in, by some people's eyes, inordinately. Rewarded more than they would have been had those other people been able to get out of the exchange and create fundamental nodes to increase the number of fundamental nodes that would then, of course, distribute the wealth a little bit more equitably. Now, since the coin is not valued at zero, it actually equates to some decent value. And I'll give you an example. And this might have been a rumor, but I'm not so sure it is because there's a blockchain explorer and people have gone and looked at the actual rewards. But it, it appeared that one fundamental node reportedly received uh, a reward today, actually, the day of this podcast, of something like 500 million coins. Now, even at the rock bottom low price right now, that B3 coin is of 0.00041 cents in US dollars, that's still over $200,000. So what I think the developers are hoping, and probably everybody in the project is hoping, that once Cryptotopia releases and allows people to withdraw their tokens, that anyone with 25 million or above will take the opportunity and create a fundamental node. And of course, if they do that, they'll destroy those tokens, 25 million at a time. Now, if you destroy a supply of something, what do you imagine happens? Those investors, of course, would hope that the price would go up, and that's what the developers designed. Now, you might ask, wait a minute, what, what about those people that don't have 25 million tokens? Well, the developer, the lead developer, established a pool, a proof-of-stake pool. An interesting concept. Sort of like a mining pool for proof-of-work, where you point your mining hardware to a single address that then functions as a node to win a block. Proof-of-stake can do the same thing. So if you have something less than 25 million, you're able to join the proof-of-stake pool and receive block rewards distributed in an equitable fashion, presumably. You can also just hold your wallet and receive the 10,000% stake and let your coins grow right up until the 80,000 block mark when that ends. And then, of course, you might be asking, well, what happens after the 80,000? It would be a good question. It goes to a 100% block reward at that point, and then it scales downwards slowly over a period of years. So at the moment, the main controversy of this particular project is the issue that just a few nodes seem to be making an enormous amount of tokens through really what amounts to being in the right place at the right time. 
Now, you can witness this controversy yourself by joining the Discord channel and just scrolling up. There's a couple of things that were pointed out, though, uh, by many of the people in the Discord channel. It's just a pretty strong community. There's a lot of people there uh, that have invested in this, thousands, actually. Many people there pointed out that everybody who joined this project, with few exceptions, who staked their coins and who still have coins have been rewarded by a healthy appreciation of their original investment. One person after another told their story and it ranged from a few hundred dollars going up to a few thousand to a few thousand going up to some tens of thousands of dollars. So while there's definitely some frustration with respect to this fundamental node concept and the fact that the developers released the fundamental node concept a few blocks earlier than they said they were going to, almost everyone agreed, with the exception of those people who didn't stake their coins and attempted to sell their coins as the market was tumbling off the cliff, with the exception of those people, everybody seemed to agree that they didn't have quite as much to complain about as some other people in some other projects. I tend to agree with the majority here. Uh, when I think about the millions of people worldwide who are lucky to realize a return of 3% these days, much less 100 or 1,000 or 10,000 for that matter, and then finally, there's yet another issue. It's like, like so many cryptocurrency projects that you read about, uh, they all aim for the most democratic ideals. Uh, but this one fell prey to a somewhat of a rogue actor. We don't know the full story here, but essentially it was the largest wallet with the largest number of tokens. It was called wallet number one. That wallet or the people behind it or the person behind it refused to upgrade to the latest code. Now, if you know a little bit about blockchain technology, this causes a major problem for security. In a proof-of-stake algorithm, the danger is any one node becoming so powerful and rich that they can act against the interests of the blockchain as a whole and in the interest of themselves. Now, in this particular case, it appears that the developers are working with the owners of that wallet and that the problem will be solved through a very large burn of those tokens. I don't know the details. They're not releasing the details. The only possible outcome that I could imagine would be that in exchange for agreeing to burn these tokens, the so-called rogue actor would probably be able to stand up a number of fundamental nodes in return so that everybody can proceed together in the future. Maybe there'll be some kind of incentive in that. It's pure speculation, of course. What's interesting about this, though, is that, you know, we, we want to believe that the blockchain has a sort of almost magical ability to incentivize people and somehow align their self-interest with the interest of the blockchain. Now this has worked mostly very, very well with Bitcoin. 
And I, I'm not just talking about the fact that Bitcoin is now $9,700 at the moment and is definitely going to hit 10000 probably before I end this podcast. But just the fact that um, the Bitcoin community has weathered so many different, you know, there's been forks and so forth and so on. Uh, the fundamental mechanism, and there's been, there's something called BIP, the Bitcoin Improvement Proposal. There's been hundreds of these, and they've all created a better blockchain, of course. But the point is, is that Bitcoin did a great job of creating a fundamental incentivizing, self-regulating mechanism. But the very fact that there has been hundreds of BIPs that have been accepted shows you that a passionate, talented, and staked community is required for a coin to really be successful. And that's what makes this particular project interesting to me because when I read the Discord channel, and trust me, you can spend a day or two reading all of the posts and all of the threads and all of the channels on their Discord server, and you'll see evidence of a very healthy community there. People who are very passionate about it, people who really believe in it, and who really want to work through these problems. You see evidence of that in this project. And if anything, you know, I, normally we, we talk a lot about the team as if they were some sort of like, you know, coding gods or something. They're going to make all of this happen. That's really not the way it works. The way it really works is that they come up with a great idea and then they work really, really hard to launch it. And then they work really, really hard to correct any issues. But the success and the failure of a given coin is largely the community. It really is a decentralized concept in that the community, the people who rally around, people who believe in the coin, those, those are truly the ones that make it work. And that's why with proof of stake, I, I like the idea of proof of stake just because, you know, it, 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 the barrier to entry is not necessarily as high as it is for what certain types of mining has become proof of work. All of this discussion about all of this, you might be asking, what does it really mean for you beyond the fact that this might just be an interesting story? I would venture that this particular project serves a look um, mainly because of this unique opportunity due to the confluence of the coding issue, the so-called number one wallet issue, the exchange freeze, and the fact that when the exchange opens up again, it's quite possible that for whatever moment that the price could fall to an all-time low of as little as one Satoshi, which is practically zero. It's as close to zero as it is possible to get when you're trading against Bitcoin. And even with the current price of Bitcoin at this ridiculous amount right now of $9,700, you could purchase at that price of one Satoshi enough B3 coin for a fundamental node for less than $2,500. Now the odds, of course, of you being able to buy that many B3 coin at that price, probably pretty slim. Nevertheless, though, if you do the investigation, you believe in the developer's vision and all of the community rallying behind it, 
and that you believe that hundreds or maybe eventually thousands of nodes will be created, resulting in billions of coins being destroyed, that will cause the price of B3 coin to rise again, almost certainly. And if you believe all that, and that actually happens, and you were to invest $23, $24, $2,500 in a fundamental node, well, then that strategy just might turn out to be a very, very lucrative investment indeed. And the risk, of course, is sky high. I mean, it's literally a coin toss, no pun intended, as to whether or not it'll pay off in a huge way or it'll end up in zero. It's very difficult to tell. And needless to say, this is not investment advice, uh, but uh, it's worth looking at if you're interested in participating uh, in, at that level in this kind of proof-of-stake world. Now, there are some precedents. Uh, there was a coin called Embercoin. Embercoin at this point is probably at zero. You might call Embercoin a, a failed project altogether, although I don't think ever, anyone's completely given up. There's no question that this entire concept is a work in progress. As you heard before, some of these are extremely lucrative and successful. There's one called Dash that was probably the original proof-of-stake coin. A master node right now is worth about $300,000. Master nodes, to me, are interesting because the concept is that you can buy something that does work for you in maintaining a part of a network that you care about rather than just buying something and watching the price of it increase and hoping the price of it increases. Now, last week I made a slight mistake. I, I meant to say visit masternodes.pro, which is plural. I said masternode.pro. It's a good site to visit. If you were to go to that site right now, for instance, uh, the very top one would be Innova. At the time that I'm recording this, uh, on the 27th of November, the ROI is 533% for a master node. What that essentially means is that if you start with nothing and you purchase 1,000 Innova coins for about $2.30 a coin, you can set up a machine to work as a master node. Now, in most cases, and I'm sure it's true for this one, that can be a virtual private server, which means you don't have to buy any hardware. According to this list at masternodes.pro, which, by the way, I should say, changes often in terms of ROI increasing and decreasing daily, you'd spend about $2,400, $2,500. And for that $2,400, $2,500, you'd earn about $35 a day minus VPS costs for your Innova masternode. Now, what's interesting to me about this is this is probably the same return that you would get if you took $2,400 worth of hardware and mined Bitcoin using like three S7 ant miners or maybe some GPUs. Maybe you got some GPUs, $2,400 worth of GPUs and you built a rig and you mined Ethereum or some other coin. But with proof of stake, you can use a cheap virtual private server for about $10 a month. Because remember, 
Proof of stake does not require heavy duty cycles. It doesn't require a lot of CPU. It doesn't require a lot of power. So a relatively inexpensive virtual private server would just be fine. So all things being equal, it could be that proof of stake is as or more profitable, but I know that it would certainly be easier to maintain because I know from experience that running a virtual private server is a lot easier than running hardware. However, though, I will also say that the big problem with the concept of proof of stake and master nodes is really the unknown future ROI. I would surmise that even if you join the Discord or the Slack or whatever channel you need to join to try to get a sense of what's going on, you really have no way of 100% knowing that you running this master node is going to result in this long-term increase or even long-term stability of return on your original investment. Now, you do have some models to look at. You have some very, very successful coins like Dash and Pivx, B-I-V-X, and you can look at those and you can feel very good <laughs> about the potential of your investment because if you were to run masternodes on a coin that was anywhere near as successful as those and about, I might add, 20 or 30 or 40 others, your return on investment would be very, very good. One thing you can do, though, is that you can sell your coins and move from one masternode to another. After a few times of this, I would imagine you get pretty good at spinning up uh, virtual private servers. There's plenty of uh, tutorials out there to tell you exactly how to do it. And it's definitely something to consider if you like the idea of sort of an annuity. The idea of something that you put a little bit of effort into and you let it just sort of wind up. You keep your eye on it and you watch it from time to time. But it's sort of a new way to leverage technology. If you happen to be a technologist, uh, running a masternode is certainly the closest thing that you would have to something like hosting uh, various IT services for various companies. So to wrap this up, I'll say if you're interested in this concept of proof of stake, you're interested in these concepts of masternodes, uh, if you're particularly risk friendly, uh, you should have a look at S3 coin in the next few days, maybe snatch that opportunity or just have a look at some of the other uh, resources that we've mentioned. The logistics of this, if it was, for instance, something like B3 coin, would be you would first need to uh, open an account with an exchange that allows you to purchase Bitcoin. I'm just presuming that you don't have any Bitcoin at the moment. Uh, and I personally use CEX.io, that's a good one, but there's many, many exchanges. Uh, friends of mine use Coinbase. Uh, we're U.S. citizens, so that becomes, uh, our, we have a slightly narrower choice of exchanges. Once you were able to open an account on one of those exchanges that allowed you to purchase Bitcoin with U.S. dollars, then you would open an account on Cryptotopia, and you would transfer your Bitcoins from your U.S. exchange-based wallet to your Cryptotopia wallet. And from there, you would then be able to purchase uh, your B3 coins using Bitcoin. So those are the logistics. And if you were so inclined to purchase 25 million of those coins, 
so that you could run a fundamental node. There are some videos that um, show you how to set up a VPS followed by a fundamental node for B3 coin. And I might also add that uh, there are also, for almost every single master node that's listed at masternodes.pro, very well written and very well explained methods by which you would create and launch a master node on their currencies as well. So I hope this helps this week, and this will conclude, I guess, what we have just created as a two-part series for proof-of-stake coins. Next week, we'll most likely return to our normal set of programming such that we'll be doing a 14-point analysis on uh, coin, and we'll also be returning to a project that we have discussed in the past. I hope you have a great week. It's been great to talk with you, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.